Glad to see you guys today. We're finishing up a series that we've been calling Epilogue, One Minute After You Die, which is a misnomer because <clears throat> what we've been talking about doesn't happen a minute after you die. It's instantly after you pass this plane, you go into another. And the way we've been illustrating it is by carrying this rope around and reminding ourselves that, that we never actually die. This body goes back to the dust of the earth, but this is not who we are. This is the shell that we inhabit. And, and so we go on, we live forever. And so this represents the timeline of our lives that goes on forever. But what we've been trying to get a handle on is the reality that this part of the rope is our time here on this earthly plane. And for it might be a few months, a few years, a few decades, but quite frankly, in the scope of things, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of people our worship pastor in Goldsboro, uh, Terrell, told us this week that his, his wife's great-grandmother passed away. Some of you may have seen the news. She was 116 years old, lived in Charlotte, dedicated Christian lady. She was great-grandmother of our worship pastor's uh, wife. And she would have told you at any point that you had a chance to talk with her uh, that she loved Jesus with all of her heart, and that 116 years passed like that. So it don't matter how long you got. It's just really quick and short and sweet. We're all coming to that point. And when we come to that point, there's only two directions. It's heaven or hell. Those are the realities. And if you've missed this series, I hope you'll go back and pick those up on the website or you can get them on Facebook, YouTube, The Bridge Princeton. Pick those up and go back and listen to them. I'll send you the notes if you want them. Info at bridgechurch.cc because this is huge stuff to give us context as we live on our lives. What I want to say to you today one simple truth, and if you get this truth and it registers, you're welcome to go on to McCall's and get a brunch if you want to. I mean, you can beat everybody to the restaurant for lunch if you want to. Just get this one truth because this is the one truth that you really, really need to understand and really get. Anybody interested in what that one truth might be? I hope you'll stay uh, for a few minutes with me after this one truth because I got more cool things to say, but, but one truth. Everybody say one truth with me. One truth. One truth is that we don't know if this is going to be 30 minutes, 30 years, 30 decades. We have no idea what this is going to be. But here's what we know is that at any given moment, are you listening? Jesus may well call it. At any given moment, he may just show up. We may just hear a trumpet in the sky and it's all over. Which means that if you're not prepared, get prepared. What it also means is that, is that we need to live as though it's going to happen any moment. We've got uh, years and years to prepare and plan, but we got seconds to get it all done. That's the simple truth of it all. Now, I'm not saying this morning that I know when Jesus is coming back. In fact, if you read somebody or watch a YouTube video of somebody who says they know when Jesus is coming back, my suggestion to you is run away because <laughs> he's crazy as a loon. No man knows the hour, only the Father knows the hour, but there are some clear signs that make it pretty clear to us that it's soon, I suggest it's very soon, imminent, probably is the word. And so for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about what some of those signs are. I've done a little bit of current research. I want to uh, just share a few things with you to help you think through this and be aware of it. I want to make sure you understand this isn't pie in the sky stuff that I'm talking about. This is very real reality. But before we get into the signs or the indicators that Jesus is coming, I think it might be worth a few minutes of our time, maybe three or four minutes of our time to answer the question, why did he go? 
Why did he even leave at all if his goal for us was to be together forever? And I think there's three reasons why he left according to scripture. Reason number one is that Jesus left <clears throat> to prepare heaven for us. John 14, 1 Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. King James says many mansions, whatever you want to call it. There's this amazing place. We talked about that earlier in the series. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So that's one of the reasons he went is to prepare heaven. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The second reason he left is to provide comfort within us. John 17, 6, he said to his disciples, it's actually better for you if I go away. He told them he's leaving. They reacted emotionally. They didn't like the idea. He said, no, 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 wait a minute. It's better for you that I go away. I'm not going to leave you orphans, he said. When I go away, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he will be your comforter and your guide and your teacher and your help, the one that goes before you, the one that goes with you, the one that walks in you. Jesus was limited while he was here to geography and time. He was only able to walk with certain people at certain times. But when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit who lives in us all of the time, no matter where we go. And so he was with you this morning when you were getting ready for church. He was here preparing the way and preparing the atmosphere of this place and all the people that were working hard to get this thing ready for service this morning. He was with you in the car when you had the fight on the way here because one of you was running late. The other one didn't like it. I mean, he was there. He's in the midst of it. He's here right now. Holy Spirit is with us. And Jesus said, it's best for you if I go so that he can be. The third reason I really want you to get, I'm gonna move on quickly, but Acts chapter one tells us that after three and a half years of training his disciples and, and teaching people, hundreds of other people, uh, Jesus was taken up to, to prepare heaven. And when he was taken up, his disciples stood at the, and stared at the sky, watched him go away. And after he was gone, they just kept staring until angels finally said, what are you looking at the sky for? Well, he said, he's coming back. Yeah, but he also gave you a job to do until he comes back. And that is Jesus left to reach the world through us. That's the mission. Matthew 28, 19, go make the followers of people in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. If Jesus' goal was for us to be with him in heaven. He's gone to prepare heaven. He's been working on it for a couple thousand years. Surely it's ready for us by now. And because uh, only a speak and the world came into existence. So, so if that's his goal, then why, as soon as we get saved, doesn't he say, all right, come on. I mean, if that's his goal, why doesn't he just bring us on home then? Uh, and somebody said the answer is there's only two things we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven. We can't sin because sin will not enter there and we can't share our faith with unbelievers. Those are the two things we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven. So which of those two do you think he's left you here to do? Which of those two do you do most often? I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You just 
Take that for what it's worth. He left us here on purpose, with a purpose, and that is to share our faith with others, which is why the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 2 of the book of of Philippians, the letter to the church at Philippi, he he defined his life as a missionary to the Gentiles, pouring out his life as a drink offering. He he says, yeah, I'm here to accomplish these things. But in chapter 3, we see him reminding us, this is not our home, (laughs) that we're citizens of heaven Paul didn't just write that, he lived it. That's the way he lived his life, planting churches, reaching people for Christ. But he always lived with this awareness that I'm just passing through here. This isn't the end. What I'm trying to say to you, and we'll get into indicators of when Jesus is coming back, is is doing what God put you here uh, is about you preparing for heaven while he is preparing heaven for you. Do I need to say that again? I want you to register that in your mind. You may want to Facebook or Instagram that one. That's a good one, okay? Doing what, you, what God put you here on this planet to do is about you preparing for heaven while he's preparing heaven for you. And that's why he left. Earth is preparation for eternity and we're here to prepare for that day. Many of you know, uh, Kim and I lost our oldest son just over three years ago. Uh, during those first few days, the family was gathering. Uh, Andy Jr. came into the room where I was sitting with some of the other family members. He was 13 at the time. So proud of that young man. You're watching, Andy. I love you, dude. Uh, he's 16 now. But he walked in and said, you know, we, we've been studying numbers in school, what numbers mean in the Bible. He's in private Christian school. And uh, he said, we learned just recently that, that the number 40 means testing. Um, Andrew was 40 when he went to heaven. I shouldn't have looked at Kim. Um, He said, 13-year-old, do you think this means my dad passed his test? I want to pass my test. I don't know if I get 10 years, 20 years, I'm going to get 68 at least years because that's how many I got. I don't know how many more I got. I don't know how many more you got. But at the end of the day, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I left you on the planet to do. Anybody with me? Anybody say amen to that one? Come on. However much time we got left, we're going to give everything we got to doing what he put us on the planet to do. And the one thing I know he's given us all to do is go into all the world and make disciples of everybody, everywhere, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. How do we know that he's coming? When is he coming? When is he prepared? Again, there's two things. One is when heaven is ready for us. Uh, after I go and prepare a place for you, John 14, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Again, we don't know how long that is. We don't know how long we have, but that's the goal. That's where he's bringing us for. That's what we're prepared to. The second thing, the second indicator is the one I want to spend some time on, and that is Jesus will come back when the signs that he gave us are fulfilled. When the signs 
are fulfilled. One day, while Jesus was preparing his disciples for the eventuality of his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, <clears throat> I mean, he said this several times to them, and they would usually react emotionally. It was tough for them to hear. They want to hear it, but eventually he said it enough that they began to ask questions about, okay, well, well when? How, how do we know that it's time for you to come back? Okay, we're, we're reluctantly accepting that you're going to go. How will we know that it's time for you to come back? And, and, and he answered them in Matthew 24 and 25, lots of other places, but specifically Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus answers them to give them some details. Here's what he says, Matthew 24, 3. If you've got a Bible, you may want to flip there. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 24 this morning, or you can go to the Bridge NC app, and all of those scriptures are there under notes in the app. You can look that up. And, and walk with us on this journey, but let's read verse three together. Can you read it out loud? I want you to hear yourself reading it into your own ears. Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign that it's time for you to come again and for this age to end. All of us have those questions. Even people that aren't following Christ ask those kinds of questions. What happens next and when is it coming? That kind of stuff. I don't know if they're ready for the answer, but Jesus laid it out for them. And I don't mean in one or two sentences. He gave them two whole chapters. He fed them from a fire hose for a few seconds there, a few minutes there, and he laid those things out. I don't have time to go through two whole chapters this morning. Don't get nervous. We've got another service coming in a few minutes. But, uh, but in your devotional time, read Matthew 24 and 5. Spend some time looking into it. I want to break down some of 24 today. Before we get into the specifics again, though, one more detail I want you to get. It's really critical detail. Verse 8. These things are like the first pains when something new is about to be born. Hear me, guys. Every sign that we're going to talk about this morning uh, has been happening since the beginning of mankind. There won't be a single sign that I'm going to mention today that you can't give examples of across history. So it's not just about the signs. It's about the intensity and the frequency of the signs. That's what Jesus is pointing us to, is that there's going to be an escalation in those last days of these various things that are going to take place. In fact, he uses an illustration that we perhaps can understand when Kim and I, when, when Kim and I had our boys. Uh, this is in a time, excuse me, uh, I love sinus drainage, don't you? Don't you love sinus drainage? This is at a time when, when they didn't necessarily let dads come into the labor and delivery room. Some of you dads are old enough to remember this. You had to get the doctor's permission, first of all, and some doctors wouldn't do it because they knew we were crazy and we'd do stupid stuff. And so they wouldn't do it. And then if, you, and if the doctor did agree, you had to take Lama's classes or natural childbirth classes. And so we went through six weeks of classes and I learned all about breathing techniques and, and, and what do they call it, Kim? Effleurage or something where you rub her belly and just wonderful little things that we learned that were just so really, really cool. And you know, in the first stages of, of her labor with Andrew, they really worked well. I said, okay, let's, let's a contraction would come. I said, okay, well, let's breathe, breathe, breathe. Breathe, and we do the little etherage thing, and it just kind of helped. It really seemed to help a lot, you know. But as the contractions got closer, as they got more intense, th those techniques didn't seem to work as well as they did in the early, 
stages. I mean, 15 minutes apart, we're okay. Five minutes apart, so much. Two minutes apart, yo baby. Uh, it's kind of, you see, there's a phase of labor. For those of you who didn't know this was going to be a medical class today, there's a phase of labor they call, some of you know, transition, right? The contractions get more intense. They get closer together. And I don't know, but it appears to hurt. I'm just, it's just me. It just kind of looks like it might hurt. Oh, I pay homage to all of you ladies who've had kids. You know, some guys will say, I had kidney stones. I know what it feels like. You don't have a clue, dude. No, you don't. There, we don't have anything close. Doctor told me one time that if God had arranged it for, for us to go every other one. So the wife had the first baby, the, the dad the second, the wife the third, the, the dad the fourth. Every family would have three kids. When it came to dad's second time, ain't no way I'm doing that again. Not gonna happen. Jesus is saying the signs in themselves are not the indicator. It's the intensity and frequency of them that we're talking about. And so you know you're in transition. It's getting close. That said, let's look at five signs that he mentioned. You tell me if the intensity and frequency is growing in these areas. The first one he mentions is spiritual confusion. Verses four and five of Matthew 24, Jesus answered, be careful that no one fools you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will fool many people. There've been many false prophets since the beginning of time, but the Bible says in the last days, there'll be a lot of confusion about the truth. Mark 13, it's not in your notes, but Mark 13, 22 says, for there may be many false messiahs and false prophets who will do wonderful miracles that would deceive, if possible, even God's own children. And you may not see that in your world, but I certainly see an indicator of that in my world, having been in ministry now for 50 years, I've watched the transition in time. I've never seen a time when more people challenge the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, e even some professed Christians will say, well, I don't know, you know, the, 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 Jesus is the only way. Isn't it a little arrogant to say Jesus is the only way? I didn't say it, he said it. It's his house. He gets to decide who comes in. He said, I am the way. I am the door. I am the gatekeeper. And he established that he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And yet we are all under incredible pressure to agree that all roads lead to God. John Stoss, who was president of Moody Bible Institute, told a story one time. I was in a crowd where he was sharing the story. He was in a citywide prayer breakfast in Chicagoland area, several thousand people there. And, and at the end of that gathering, they got a, 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 a Muslim imam, a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, and a Baptist pastor to come stand up on the stage together and hold hands. And then the moderator got up and said, all roads lead to God. Can we all stand in solidarity together as people of faith? And the crowd started to rise. And John Stoss said, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand. And we in the crowd started to applaud him. He said, no, 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 whoa, whoa, don't, don't applaud me. Uh, that it wasn't something to applaud. What I'm telling you is that I froze in the moment because I almost stood. There was so much peer pressure to stand that I almost stood. And it hit me in that moment. I came that 
close to repudiating my own faith that I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. There is one way, Jesus is the way. Jesus said, brace yourself because in the last days, that pressure will get more intense than it's ever been before. How do you steel yourself against that attack? You learn the word of God which is why we've introduced the growth track around here. Some of you jumped in immediately. The first semester started in January. We had 60-some people go through the growth track almost immediately. It's a three-year process of classes, a curriculum that takes you from the very beginnings of laying the foundation of your faith all the way through to a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, challenge you to get into the growth track. In fact, put a date down. You're going to hear a lot more about it. May 12, Wednesday night, May 12, we're going to have a vision gathering for the growth track and I'm asking all of you to seriously consider coming hang out with us for a little while the Kentucky team will have tacos before you can come have dinner if you want to we're just going to cast vision make it clear what the growth track is all about you hear a lot more about that in May 12 if you want to combat the spiritual confusion of the day get in the word of God amen hear me everything is not as it appears the second indicator or sign that Jesus talked about was widespread war, verses 6 and first part of verse 7. You will hear about wars and stories of wars that are coming, but don't be afraid. These things must happen before the end comes. Nations will fight against other nations. Kingdoms will fight against other kingdoms. Let's just be honest, okay? War is not new. Am I right? I read recently there's only 8% of time since recorded history started, that there wasn't a war going on somewhere in the world. From the oldest times, the drawings on caves, uh, men have been at war. We don't, we don't have to teach kids to fight. I, they, it's just built in. I want what I want when I want it, and if I have to, I'll take it from you, and then I'll defend mine. It's just that's the way we do things. When, when Adam, our middle son, was a little boy, uh, one time doing his nighttime prayers with Kim, he, uh, he said, Lord, part of his prayer was, Lord, kill all the bad guys. And Kim said, oh, Adam, uh, you really should pray, Lord, uh, make them good guys, not kill them, make them good guys. He said, okay, Lord, make them good guys. And if you can't, kill them. <laughs> so the question is, is war escalating? Harvard did a study some time ago. They said in the last 1,200 years, there have been 2,000 678 recorded violent conflicts, 2,678 recorded violent conflicts over 1,200 years. In the first 25 years of the 20th century, there were 13,800 recorded violent conflicts. In the 20th century alone, 100 million people were killed as a direct result of war. They called World War I the war to end all wars. It couldn't get any worse than that, but it was just 20 years later that Hitler rose up, invaded Poland, and 60 million people died in World War II. And when the peace treaty was signed, MacArthur warned the world, it's not over. You think it's over? It's not over. Within three years, the Korean conflict started, and it's still in full swing today. A few years later, so many of us in my generation dealt with the Vietnam era, traumatized my generation. And we weren't far into the 21st century when a whole new war, this war on terrorism, kicked off. We've had troops in Afghanistan for almost 20 years now. The great fear, of course, is that terrorists will get their hands on a nuke. 
But look at what Peter wrote 2,000 years ago. First, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That was written well over 2,000 years ago. No one for centuries had a clue what he was talking about. It was this mystical, how could that possibly be possible kind of thing. But then I ran across Dr. Helen Caldicott from Harvard, who gave a speech in Toronto, Ontario, Canada some time ago. She was shaking as she said these words. I saw the video clip. She said, if a 20 megaton bomb were dropped on this city right now in a millionth of a second after detonation, it would burn a skyscraper-sized hole in the ground, the heat of which would be 150 million degrees Fahrenheit, the approximate temperature of the sun. Toronto would be vaporized and what did remain would be like molten lava. Beyond that, it would be widening circles of devastation with a total death toll of over 2 million people in a matter of minutes. There's no way Peter could have known that kind of devastation would be invented someday. He just wrote what the Holy Spirit told him to write. One more detail. Go back to the passage and we'll move on. Those words, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, that word nation in the original language and the original manuscripts is ethnos. Do you know what English word we get from ethnos? Ethnic groups. Do we have an unprecedented level of division between ethnic groups in this world? More than I've ever seen in my lifetime. More than many of us have ever seen. And we say, wow, you know, maybe things are getting better and then it looks like things aren't getting worse. That word kingdom, you know what that is? It's the Greek word basilia that literally means the authority to rule in appropriate places. You ever seen authority challenged at the level it is these days? Never seen it in my life. Police being challenged, judges being challenged, the Bible being challenged. I remember as a pastor, the day when I would say the Bible says and people go, oh, and now I say the Bible says and people go, oh, well, thank you for telling me what your truth is. Now I have to go find out what my truth is. Jesus said in the last days there would be unprecedented spiritual confusion, but he also said there'd be an unheard intensity of war and conflict. The third sign that he gave us was famine and disaster. Verse 7b, there will be times when there's no food for people to eat and there will be earthquakes in different places. It's another sign. It's been around for centuries, I know, <clears throat> but many people believe it's escalating in our times too. When it comes to famine, uh, we don't notice it too much because for us, you know, McDonald's clothes for remodeling is famine for us, you know, it's kind of, but you go to Ethiopia or, or, or uh, Central Africa or Bangladesh, Tens of thousands of people are starving to death uh, every day. Um, in fact, we're not even sure how many because undeveloped countries don't keep very good records. Dr. Uh, Umali of the UN Food and Agricultural Organization says there are 460 million people on the brink of starvation in the world on any given day. He describes the world on this topic as one-third well-fed. That's us in case you're wondering one-third poorly fed, and one-third starving to death. An estimated 30 people die of starvation every minute somewhere on the planet, 24 hours a day. Escalating? I think so. 
add to that natural disasters. If you pay attention to the news at all, again, that's unprecedented in our times. Earthquakes in places. Man, I've never heard of an earthquake there before. Really? There's an earthquake there? And you hear about those things all the time. Kim and I recently watched the movie about the true story of the, of the tsunami that hit Asia, Thailand, and that region. Uh, and, and that was so unusual, they weren't even tracking it. They didn't even see it coming. 275 plus thousand people died in that single event. The fourth sign he mentions is the persecution of Christians. Matthew 24, 8 and 9, but all this will only be the beginning of the horrors to come. Then you will be tortured and killed and hated all over the world because you're mine. Simply because you're mine, you're going to be killed and tortured. I read just this week the Center for Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. This was the school that I did my doctorate at has documented, they have documented an average of 100,000 Christians killed every year somewhere in the world directly because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Dan Wooding's book, God's Agents, Heroes of the Cross, was a bestseller all over the world. Didn't sell in America. And when the publisher was asked why it didn't sell in the U.S., his answer was American Christians don't like to be disturbed. Jesus said there'll be more signs, plenty of signs. There will be intensity increasing in these signs. It's going to be multiplying. And then he gives what I consider to be the definitive sign, the final bottom line sign, and that is when the world has been warned. His passion for the lost, his passion for all people, his passion to bring all people to himself created in his image is, is ultimately the defining factor in when he will come back. And in verses 12 through 14, here's what he says. There will be more and more evil in the world, so most people will stop showing their love for each other. For those people who keep their faith until the end will be saved. The good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world to every nation. Then the end will come. Maybe, maybe that's the one bright spot in this whole thing. Because it's unprecedented how readily the good news of Jesus Christ is getting out to the world. Never before have we had the opportunity to spread good news like we do these days. As a young preacher many years ago, it never once occurred to me that one day there would be more people listening to me on a thing called the internet than in the room where I'm standing. But that day's here. I mean, right, right here at the bridge. Our in-person attendance has been growing back recently. As COVID numbers get better, people are uh, getting vaccinated. They're getting more comfortable to come back to church. And I'm so thrilled that you're here. We're beginning to grow back. But currently, we're averaging just over 500 people in person at the Princeton location of the bridge. Just over 1,000 in all four of our locations. One church in four locations. But, uh, but there's over 1,000 who watch us online every week. Pastor Andy mentioned just a few moments ago, just some of the places literally all over the world will get emails from people and quite frankly, people that are joining our online campus and wanting to be identified as part of the bridge even though they've never been to our brick and mortar stores. The gospel is going out all over the world, not just from here, but from many, many corners, many, many places. I could go on. There's so many current events. There's so many things that point to the fact that... Uh, that Jesus is coming, pick a sign, I'm, any sign. It's just clear to me. They all look like transition phase to me. So the real question, the only question that ultimately matters then is how does this apply to me? This is all interesting information. 
And we can debate that and argue that. And I've had people come to me after preaching a message like this and say, Pastor, thank you so much. We needed to hear that. And I've had others come and say, how dare you say all those things? You're trying to scare people into heaven. I'm, I'm just telling people the truth according to scripture because the reality is all of us are going to face that moment. Jesus described that moment in that same passage in Matthew 24. I didn't put it in your notes because I really want you to just kind of listen and picture it as I read it to you. No one knows when that day or time will be. Not the angels in heaven, not even the sun. Only the Father knows. What we do know is when the Son of Man comes, it will be like what happened during Noah's time. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain with a mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. So always be ready because you don't know the day or the hour your Lord will come. When is that going to happen? I don't know. You, you may have 30, 40, 50 years before you have to think about that again. Or he may come before I finish this next sentence. All I know it's coming. Pastor, you're, you're, you're trying to scare me into heaven? No, no, no. I don't want you to give your life to Jesus because you might get hit by a bus on the way out of here or Jesus might come in this moment. I want you to give your life to Jesus because there ain't no better life available than one where we follow Jesus Christ. You want to live? Live for the one who loves you. Not for the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for warning us, loving us enough to tell us truths. Though they may force us to stop and think about who we are and where we are and what's going on in our lives and what we really commit our time and talents and treasures to and where our hearts are aligned, it forces us to do all those things. Still, we thank you because you loved us enough to tell us these truths. And as we resonate with them today, I pray that we would settle that issue, settle that question. Am I ready? Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Nobody's looking. It's just me and you and God. Private moment is going to embarrass you but it's critical that you answer that question am I ready if the answer is I'm just not sure 
think so, but no, I don't know. And certainly if the answer is no, I'm not. Then would you pray a prayer with me? Real simple. Pray out loud. Pray silently. I don't care. God's listening to your heart. Jesus, thank you for warning me. Thank you for giving me a heads up on what's coming. And I want to be prepared. So whether I have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 more years on this planet or not, I commit my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a fresh start today and help me to do life your way. Give me the abundant life you promised. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their minds. I pray that you would help them to realize the critical nature of this moment, the spiritual impact of this moment. In Jesus' name.